friends, welcome back to the Real Point podcast. I'm Freya. I'm Connor. And this week we're going to be talking about something a bit different. Unfortunately. Was that unfortunate? Unfortunately. It's not that bad. No, it's fine. It's a little bit different. Yeah. So <clears throat> this week we'll be talking about a bit of a mix between. Would you say genres or. I don't even really know what to say. Uh, yeah. the, the common points are there, but I don't even know what you're going to title yeah. this one. In I know. So it's it's sort of a mix of experimental body horror, surrealist black surrealist and white. black and white film, independent. And, yep, independent sort of almost punk esque yeah, horror films because yeah. they're all independently yeah. made. I think um, they're probably what you would call midnight movies. Yes. Um, I think Eraserhead was always kind of known as an, uh, a midnight movie anyway. Yeah. But I've just let it slip. So, um. <laughs> so yeah, if, um, since Connor's already said that, we'll, yeah. we'll be talking about two films. Um, we might, if it all fits into one episode, just do it as one episode. It's probably going to be one episode. Yeah, unless we get into a big tangent. But So the two films we're talking about today is we'll be talking about David Lynch's Eraserhead and you like Shinya Tsukamoto. Okay. And it is, what is this film? Tetsuo the Iron Man. Yep. So <clears throat> we we don't really know how we're going to sculpt this, but no. we did really want to talk about something along these lines of, as you say, sort of like midnight movies. Yeah. Um, of old school, sort of black and white surrealist yeah. film. Yeah. Which was originally, I think we were just wanting to do like black and white surrealist. Well, we know we wanted to do David Lynch at some point. Yeah. Um, I don't know how it came about this. I think it was actually your <laughs> suggestion. Um, I would have actually preferred to have done something else David Lynch related. I think we probably will in future, yeah, but probably. we might come back and speak because there's a lot to talk about, especially when it comes to like David Lynch yeah. and paving the way for other filmmakers. Yeah, um, but I guess we should start on Eraserhead um, yeah. and sort of David Lynch as a whole. Um, what was um, what was your first experience with David Lynch? So uh, I remember, I'm sure I told you the story the other day when we were watching it, so first David Lynch film actually no that's a lie because technically I have seen the Elef- I think the Elephant Man would have been the first David Lynch film I would have seen mm-hmm. um, when I was very young um, because it's not it's one of those films where like parents watch and it's like it's known as that really sad film Elephant Man was a film that I showed my parents really? Mm. <laughs> it was my mum that showed me it um, she, so we watched that quite young because it is I don't think it's a high rating, um, and children don't hundred percent get the the gist. Mum. Oh, it's PG. I've got PG, it. On, I've yes. got it on the shelf. So it's it's something that like children can watch if, if they did want to. Um, not that I would <laughs> recommend. No, it's um, not. It's not a happy tale. No, it's not happy. And then the next David Lynch film I'd seen was Blue Velvet, mm. um, and that was by a mix-up because I thought it was. I think there's another film called Blue Velvet about a racehorse. Right. And it's like a kid's oh right, film. you did tell me that, yeah. yeah. And I, I thought that was like was the same film. Right. Um, obviously a very different film. Mine was a bit weird. Um I was actually in the car with my parents driving back from parents' night at school of all things. And mm-hmm. there was a, a film segment on the radio um talking about the new David Lynch film, which at the time had just come out was um Inland Empire. Um, okay. <clears throat> that was can you remember when that was in the... Like two thousand and four, two thousand five? Right. I just um, couldn't remember off the top of my head. Yeah, and obviously just being on the radio, like you know, they sort of went into a whole sort of like bit about sort of David Lynch's background and stuff, and I was immediately kind of like, who's I've kind of never heard of him, and um, especially Lynch is such a funny name, um, and I went home and googled him, 
and then Eraserhead was sort of the first thing that came up and sort of grabbed my attention um, at the time. Um, Eraserhead wasn't available um, on a wide DVD print, mm-hmm. um, so the print I ended up getting I bought off eBay for literally pocket money, um, but it came from um, Asia somewhere because the, re- the rest of the box is fine, but the entire blurb of the movie is in Mandarin. Um, okay. which okay. is why I've not like uh, since subsequent to that they actually did eventually release Racerhead mm-hmm. I think I can't remember which um, company done it I don't think it's an Arrow video but it's something like that um, and I've never updated my copy of it because I quite <laughs> I quite like mine yeah. it still has special features yeah on, no, you know? of course and it still um, works fine <clears> yeah exactly um, I mean, it's quirky to have something a bit exactly it's not one of those things like you know I know you can get it on Blu-ray but it's like whatever again having watched it I think it's one of those things I wouldn't want to own it on Blu-ray because it actually looks quite good in the weird kind of crunchy DVD quality it is mm-hmm. already um, I think, I think it is one of those films that doesn't um, that doesn't work better for being no, on Blu-ray yeah. it definitely um, as you say the feel of how the film the like the independentness and the very low yeah I think the filming of it, it works well for what it is you don't really want that included. you can just call it crunchy it's fine because that's what it is it's crunchy <laughs> no it is crunchy i know it's, it's, it's the wording of these sort of things is kind of hard so yeah but um i remember when we first met mm. i'm sure we were speaking about david lynch yeah. as well um obviously both being very big horror fans um obviously david lynch is a bit of a pioneer yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, there's no doubt about Especially it. Especially for a bit more bizarre sort of. You don't, horror. you don't, you know, go anywhere in the movie business and then not have an entire concept of like filmmaking based on your name, based yes. on your style, kind of yes. thing. Yes, um, 100%. Not many people have sort of aped his style successfully. I think no. the closest. Uh, this was one of the episodes I was suggesting was that we could do Mulholland Drive and Under the Silver Lake. Under yes, the Silver 100%. Lake is the closest to yeah. David Lynch's style I think I've seen in a long yeah. time. Um, and I think going into that, it's kind of important that <laughs> I maybe seen Eraserhead at a bad time. The first, because it was the first David Lynch film I watched, and I was quite young. I must have only been about maybe 14. Um, and I mean, I was religious about this movie. I watched it an awful lot when I was really young, and I used to like pick it apart to figure out what it was that it was trying to say. And obviously, my best friend at the time was IMDb message boards, as they were. Um, and it sort of hit me one day a couple of years later when I went on it again just to see what the forums were saying about Razorhead on IMDb and someone did do a, a pretty harsh post but it did kind of strike me back to reality quite hard was um, just because you don't get it doesn't mean it's art argument which is completely fair and I think as I've kind of got older especially having watched it again for this um, podcast is that by spending so much time picking it apart and mm-hmm compartmentalizing all the themes and motifs and imagery and stuff like that you're probably wasting a lot more energy than you really need to it's actually an incredibly straightforward no movie. it is this is this is what i was um i, I was going to bring up later on as well is i, I remember saying to you when we watched both these films i was trying to pick them apart mm-hmm. so badly yeah, yeah um but the thing is with the razorhead and it's the exact same when i was younger mm. i watched it when i was a young teen and i tried to pick it apart yeah. and i thought it was the most incredible thing especially being from an art background mm-hmm. into surrealist artists it seemed like a sort of the sort of thing that was yeah. but the, the older you get and the more that obviously you find out other people's views on it and stuff it is quite a basic yeah, it's, it's, it's incredibly film. simple. It's, um, it's, it's the same for both of these, yeah, and they're mood pieces more than they are anything else. Yeah. Like it's not, it's not trying to say anything outside of the text that's already there. 
um, mm -hmm. you know, by sort of picking it apart and, you know, applying symbolism to absolutely every single individual frame, you're wasting an endless amount of energy when you could actually kind of just be watching it and kind of enjoying it for what it's presenting kind of yeah. straight up. Like, I know it's still, it's very obtuse, like, you mm -hmm. know, there are scenes that are there and almost seem to have no purpose whatsoever, but I sort of say this to like, and you know, <laughs> I'll say this to any young teenager looking to get into this thing don't think about it too much yeah. <laughs> like just enjoy it just take what it is the first the thing is like... there's, there's a lot of things as well that's like and I will use this word later like lynching mm. thing yeah. that sometimes doesn't it doesn't make sense when you watch it like yeah. the whole uncanny valley mm. um, thing but it doesn't need picked apart it's no. just one of those things that's put in his films that sort of to throw you off and make you feel uncomfortable yeah um, and it doesn't really need to or an ex explanation for no. why it's there or I think a lot reason. there's been a lot of lesser directors and a lot of lesser movies that we've watched especially that I think try and do something like that where they will kind of throw literally anything at the viewer whether it be like some completely bizarre visuals or a random scene or like a really odd bit of dialogue or whatever um, and it doesn't mean anything but I think the director thinks it is and they want to sort of run rings around you get you thinking about it and putting up ending explained videos on YouTube and yes. shit like that like it doesn't matter like you know I think um, The Strange Colour of Your Body's Tears is something that comes to mind for me where we both watched that and thought this was absolute pants and it was just a whole lot of stupid stuff that I'm just was, trying to remember what one was that oh one? it was French and it was kind of like a jello oh, movie oh no 100% yeah. yes 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 um, and stuff like that and that's you know what I think David Lynch does quite well is that I think a lot of people tend to think that he's actually a lot deeper than he actually is, but he's actually just an incredibly straightforward mm -hmm. guy. Like, just read any interview with him. Like, he's he's very curt and he's very to the point, and he says yeah. what he thinks. Um, he's I, not some kind of deep art genius. Like, no. I think as well as like coming in from a film and art background himself. I mean, he'd done a razor head when he was in film school. Mm -hmm. I'm sure that well, it it's was, his yeah. it's his feature length debut. Um, there's a lot of influence from like black and white surrealist um, artists such yeah. as like Salvador Dali um, mm. and, and silent movies yeah. which don't necessarily need to be picked apart in themselves. they're no, there no. as an art piece um, and with both these films it's it's the sort of, I actually I'm sure have seen a Razorhead in an art gallery um, on film mm. um, but these both these films work perfectly as an exhibition going through an art yeah, gallery. Like, like they are that sort of for what they are, they're they're art pieces in themselves. It's a mood piece. Yes. Yes. It's um, a mood piece it's a feeling piece. And both I think both have been used in music videos. Um, they, they work well as a like as a music music video piece as well. Yeah. For, for what they are. Well, even just for both of them, I think in the music scene in general, is their influence is probably quite obvious. Like maybe less so for Eraserhead, but I think the imagery of Eraserhead is kind of more popular in music scenes. So like, you know, um, <laughs> for the amount of times I've probably seen like an Eraserhead like back patch on like some mm -hmm. punk rockers jacket kind of exactly. thing. Whereas like watching Tetsuo, um, it's fairly obvious. Um, where the music of that movie kind of inspired a lot of artists going forward. Oh, 100%. 100%. That's, um, um, I mean, both um, films, which we'll talk about as well, focus a lot on sound design mm -hmm. and um, music. N not necessarily music. More music in Tetsu yeah. um, has more of a bass beat to it, but yeah. just the sound design in general is very influential for film and, as you say, music. Yeah. And I think it when I say both films are very punk, I don't necessarily mean like 
is is what people would think of punk, but they're they're it's the very low budget made. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and they're sort of exploring new things, and then they've built this influence yeah. from them. Um, that's probably not the best explanation, but well, they are. It very, feels like a counterculture. Yeah, they um, are like very very cult, count, counterculture film. Yeah, both of them. So. <clears throat> I don't even know where to start. So, so if we're talking about David Lynch and Eraserheads, as I say, it was his first, it was his debut feature, and he'd yep. done a few shorts beforehand, I think it was three, when he was in film school. Um, basically got given a grant, I think, from film school to make Eraserhead. They'd only read, I'm sure it's something like they'd only read 20 pages of the script, or the script itself was only 20 pages, and they expected it to be a short film, which it didn't turn out. <laughs> so, oh, as you'd said, it took five years, five years <coughs> to actually. Yeah, for funding wise, completely ran out. Um, I mean, it is, you can, especially you watching it again, not that it takes anything away, it works really well, but it, you can tell how low budget it is. Yeah. Um, and I think there was only a few of them involved in a, the actual making of Yeah, the, the credits are quite short. Yeah. Um, as I say, very influential from black and white silent films, um, especially being that both these films don't have a lot of dialogue. Yeah, one sure. more than the other, I'd say. Or at yeah. least if they're maybe, like, maybe even close enough to being like completely level with one yeah. another. Um, but Racerhead, more than yeah, the two of them, definitely has almost nothing in the way of yeah. um, meaningful dialogue. Very yeah, silent film influence. And I think both films as well can be influenced by... I can't remember, so I'm going to say this wrong. Uh, Unshin... No. Where is that? It's there. I'll get you... Connor's pronunciation is a lot better. Uh, so it's... Unshin yeah. and Alon. Yep. Which was a silent, surrealist art film made by is it Louis, Louis Bunel? Bunel? Um, and it was written by Salvador Dali um, which everyone knows Salvador Dali is like the epitome for is epitome the word? Epitome? The, I guess you could the main that. guy for <laughs> surrealist art um, and did do a lot of his own sort of short pieces of surrealist film um, I can't off the top of my head remember the names of the other ones, but this 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 is a famous one. Um, I was saying to Connor about it because he hadn't seen it. Um, everyone's not necessarily seen the film, but there's a famous scene at the very very start, which is a woman having her eyeball slit open with a razor blade. Um, and I think it was the first sort of piece of film that was quite grotesque I think for the time um, it was quite jarring for people to see and obviously with being in art galleries and, and showings it was quite dramatic um, and I think little bits like that come out within her head especially when it comes to like the child yeah, yeah. Um, that's quite stomach churning mm. um, to see as an audience yeah um, I don't know I guess we should probably just get into I say relatively talking about it. Yeah, <laughs> broaching I mean, the subject. As I say, we're not going to dive deep into the storylines massively. No, I think that was a stipulation I went in with because trying to describe the plot of either of these things is kind I of mean, like difficult. Yeah, because you can describe the plot for both these very easily in a short sort of snippet. No, it's like that one person I know that like tries to 
talks to me about football and I have absolutely no idea what mm-hmm. he's talking about but I just nod my head and I feel yeah. like that's the equivalent yeah. um, so, of me explaining the plot of these movies no. to someone who's not familiar with them um, or even just like by listening to it like it doesn't really do any real justice to what's actually happening in the thing and it's probably just better to be seen or listened yes. you know. so I mean you can talk basically a razorhead built upon cre- uh, a gentleman called Henry yes don't know, I went to call him Jack. When it's because the, the actor, the guy that plays him is called Jack Nance. That's it. Um, he is, me, met a woman. Um, they've been together, doesn't exactly tell you how long. Mm. She becomes pregnant, gives birth really fast, um, to a child. Well, the child. They don't even know if it's a child. Yeah, it's, um, um, yeah always having like little, <laughs> like, the child. Um, you can call him Bart Harley Jarvis. Yes, yes, could actually. Yeah, that's a bit of shame. I feel sorry for the poor kid in this one. But um, yes, and the whole film sort of the fear of being a parent. Being a parent. And yeah. that's the end of the episode. I'm just joking. <laughs> but I mean, like that's <laughs> that like, this is, is what I mean. This is yeah, literally what I mean is it's... that like you can sit and you can take all the images and weird scenes and odd bits of dialogue and stuff and try and come up with something that's completely tangential to what's actually going on. But at the end of the day what it's really just about is just about a fear of being a parent yeah. that's all it really is yes. um, there's a lot more in there like, you know, un- yeah, we have summarised it very quickly yeah. that's because there's not an awful no. lot to summarise it is only just an hour and 20 minutes yes. long um, doesn't feel like it actually I was a bit worried going in that it was going to feel like a lot longer but no it didn't no it felt yeah it, it was, was a bit of an odd one it is yeah it also takes it is um, in like there is quite a lot that goes on within yeah. that time because obviously it's a short amount of film but no that is the basis I yeah. mean there's the, the fear of the unknown from being a parent like yeah. as in when you you have this this thing well I don't want to call it the, the, the Bar child Harley Jarvis <laughs> um, which is sort of like a monster yeah I want to say monster because it's not no, it's not that, causing havoc or anything no massively. um it's just be at the end of it it's still just being a child but yes. it's kind of being an exaggerated child like mm-hmm. um you know like he how is it like he sort of goes to see the baby and it's kind of just like cooing and whatever and he uh takes its temperature mm-hmm. and he's like oh it's quite, quite happy he doesn't like acknowledge it vocally he just kind of looks at it and goes mm. You know, and then he turns his back for literally a second, looks back again, and the baby's like covered in like measles, and he's yeah. like, "Oh, you are sick." And it's like, just like that kind of, co- it, it does everything that a baby does, just mm-hmm. kind of like almost at like twice the speed. Yeah. Um, like it's sick, and it's like sort of spitting out food. Like in scene one, when it turns up, it's like not accepting food and kind of yeah. spitting it up, but it's kind of like laughing, and it's like blowing raspberries and like mm-hmm. you know making little cooing sounds and stuff. Like so, it's just it's not anything too out there. It's just very normal. Yeah. But I think it's that sort of mundanity that's a little bit weird. Yeah. Um, and I think, yeah, the, the sort of the biggest asset is just how sort of mundane everything is. Um, it is a quite a... Mund- I mean, apart from the environment that the film is set around... Yeah, that's what is, that's mostly what I sort of mean, is that yeah. it's like a... But it's essentially just an industrial wasteland, like, yeah. for the most part. Like, the world that um, Jack and... Jack Henry inhabits with his partner and his partner's parents and stuff like that. It's just some very odd, like it's not a po- it, vaguely apocalyptic. Like mm-hmm. it's all weird, abandoned train tracks and like industrial yards and um, like 
just oh, but it's the, I'm sure you use the word derelict a lot. It is sort of like yeah, it's there's, very, there's not a lot around no, them. Apart it's sparse. From, yeah, um, which is probably the weirdest thing about it because it's like again, it's like is you know I think with sort of films like this that sort of become mood as well. You're kind of like I would love to just see what someone else is doing like say like even like a couple of miles away like what's their story how did this happen yeah. <laughs> like you know what's going on here how do these people live um like you know henry does say that he has a job as a printer and it's like why are people working what are they doing like yeah. who are the people where's the population yeah. like you know and later on when you want the the pencil pack yeah stuff, it's or... just weird stuff like that it's just kind of like what is going on and why is it here and you'd probably be more interested sort of reading a history book about whatever all yeah. universes is taking place in. Um, but I mean David Lynch doesn't go into detail to explain these no, no, things it's sort of fine. just this is what it is and you yeah. sort of accept the environment that yeah. comes around it's a mood um, mm -hmm. even like uh, Mary his um, partner um, he goes around to dinner at Mary's parents which is probably the weirdest scene in the entire movie if yeah, to be perfectly honest but um, Mary's dad suggests that it wasn't always like that. He says that mm -hmm. he oh, he used to work on the pastures before mm -hmm. they started laying down the pipes and stuff, and yeah. he sort of gets a little bit irate about it. And I think, like, yeah, I don't remember that line until sort of watching it now. Um, but it is a fairly loaded line, as if to suggest that obviously it wasn't always like that, mm -hmm. and that there's something. It's not just that they've sort of like borrowed that something made it the way that it is. It's like a kind of man-made terraforming yeah. of the world that they live in which kind of which both can sort of grasp a bit like the the fear of the what man will create and a, yeah. like a technology te tech this word never fit technological advancement and how that will deal yeah. with what's going on in the world and stuff at the moment um but yeah so you you don't really get there were you going to go on more about the weird scene or oh well, i think well, if, since we've already brought up i guess we should sort of talk about the dinner scene um versus like sort of shortly like you know to sort of get everything up to speed at this point um when the film starts it takes five minutes for the film to actually start proper because we did check the timer mm -hmm. um like five minutes into the movie is when we actually finally properly meet henry kind of like in the context of the story um, everything before that is kind of just like dream imagery of like a weird sort of measly pimply man at a broken window and the man um, on the moon yeah the man on the moon that's a, some sperm creature thing and um, like a lava pit stuff like that and um, Henry's face as he kind of floats around an empty void and then it starts Henry walks around for a while um, there's lots of weird carnival music and stuff as well mm -hmm. which I quite like comes up quite a bit where like oh, yeah. when there's silence there's very vague carnival music just yeah. playing in the distance it's very odd um he goes home um, in his apartment in the lobby there's um, a carpet in the same style as the Red Room from uh, Twin Peaks yes. which I'm not sure but I mean it's probably deliberate anyway yeah but. I think because because it was the first film um, obviously David's featured length film he does say that there was a few because there's a few things that he was going to put into a razor head that he kept back yeah. and then used in Twin Peaks um, the the dial the backwards dialogue that's used in Twin Peaks mm. he learnt that around about the time of Razorhead but then decided to hold back yeah. and just use that so I think the carpet is sort of like an ode to obviously Razorhead when they get to it yeah um, and then like you know we also sort of get briefly introduced to Henry's uh, neighbour who is maybe a prostitute I think they sort of imply. I think so. I think that's implied. Or maybe she's just a you know a bit of a free spirit. I'm not entirely mm. sure. Yeah, they don't go into that in no. details about, especially about the other characters. They're sort no. of um. And there's not many of them. No. Um, the neighbor tells Henry that obviously um 
Henry's partner called saying that he's inviting him for dinner at their parents house um, he goes round to the parents house um, the, his, girl, his partner is immediately like I don't know like Mary's a funny one in this movie yes. she cries a lot and is honestly kind of just a bit unsu- insufferable but everybody kind of is to be honest yeah everybody's kind of insufferable it, yeah um, but she is you know complains that he's late like almost immediately and she's just, waiting as well yeah day. and he just says well you've not been around for I didn't even think you were coming back like you've not visited me in so long and you know and then we get introduced to the parents who are just quite the pair um, the mother especially is very um, brutal very um, forward and just a little bit um, curt with him um, just asking what he does for a living and stuff like that as well um, whereas the dad's slightly nicer to yeah the dad's him. very chatty um, like when he sort of comes in he has this like just fires off like the most lines of dialogue in any one time he comes in and just bashes it out there like you know talks about his arm yeah he talks about like when he the day he talks about his arm saying that like he got cut in work and then he massaged it like every day for like he 10 years he was he wasn't able to use yeah. his arm yeah and then he got feeling back but then he's worried about cutting it and they're having chicken tonight just little baby chickens just tiny little yeah, chickens yeah there's a point as well because they're man-made chickens no that was it yeah yeah they're man-made um, chickens so as well with talking about pastures and how yep. things weren't like this it seems to be that the environment that they're around food is no longer the same as it was like yeah. you're having to create yourself so they've got these weird little baby chickens um, and then there's sort of the first grotesque scene yeah. you say that's, that's um, he goes to cut one of the chickens and it starts moving and a liquid starts like almost oozing, pus- oozing yeah. out, of, out of the chicken I mean there's a lot of imagery within a razor head like especially with the, f- the first dream sequence with the sort of sperm like creature um, going into the sort of puddle yeah. um, and then it, it comes out of Henry's mouth as well things like that there's a lot of like sexual imagery mm-hmm. and little things I mean yeah. the chicken scene especially with the concept of birth and stuff with it, which comes up later on you've got this sort of quite jarring scene yeah and when he's cutting the chicken um the mother on the opposite side of the table is kind of like having a a horror orgasm almost like she's kind of panting i don't really want to talk about it too much but yeah she just um she seems to kind of enjoy it in a weird way um, or she's reacting to it whether it's sort of involuntary or not i'm not entirely sure yeah there's a few weird involuntary scenes like when um Henry's partner has the weird fit. Oh, she has the, like a uh, almost like a seizure. A seizure, and, and he doesn't seem to. Pick, he just it's almost like he's not there. Yeah, like, and you then know, he's just the mum just away. brushes her hair and she's fine again. Yeah, and just yeah, we're not gonna. <laughs> if we sort of focus, well, I also just want to yeah, bring up very quickly that um, obviously at the end of this sort of dinner scene, um, Henry's mother says, um, "There's a baby." Mary says, "They don't even know if it's a baby. Um, it's premature, but it's, there's a baby," <laughs> is what they say. Um, and she tries to sort of coax Henry into saying that um, him and Mary have um, slept together, um, to which he sort of completely defends and dodges the question. So to get it out of him, she starts like kissing his neck and like biting his ear and stuff. It's very strange. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, it sort of comes up in threes, I guess. And also because in Mary's parents' house, there's a dog with a litter of puppies. Yes, yes. There's a lot of, as I say, the little bits of imagery yeah. about birth and t- children. Parent, being parents like the weird parents that Mary has and everything and then so straight over there after this is when 
you meet the baby. Well, the baby's like home immediately. Yeah. Like, there's not even like a scene where they like go to pick up yeah. because they say it's at the hospital and once yeah. they get married they can go and get collect yeah. the baby. But it doesn't even take that no. long. The baby is just in the house in the very next yeah. scene. Um, which obviously is the most famous thing from Razorhead is the child. The baby. Um, which I think is well, it is the most interesting. I would say that's the most interesting thing. I, I think more so. I I didn't know until obviously this film has made me so uncomfortable for years just because of the child yeah um it is very horrific yeah i think um, the most incredible thing about it is that it's all over 40 years old and it looks great oh, oh my god yeah <laughs> it's over 40 it's years absolutely old absolutely terrifying um the creature itself and david lynch would speak a lot about this creature mm. because everyone would ask what how what yeah, is what it is like it? what is it is it a it was a it was a prop like how did it how did it work you, you blindfolded the the cameraman yeah so no one was allowed to see how how it was created this child but it was somehow um he would always refer to that it was born yeah. near where it was filmed it's if it's just oh it's all a bit uncomfortable and i know that he's probably just playing along with, oh God, you know yeah, like yeah. you know what he's like but I mean, there's people talk about that it was a premature calf, yeah, or um, sheep that was used. Or that it was a roadkiller or something. Yeah, that it was some sort of animal or premature baby animal that was used to create this, which I would not be surprised because of how how horrific it looks. Well, yeah, um, I mean, I think anything is probably possible, um, considering it was 1977. It Mm -hmm. is an independent film, um, and you know, directors and stuff were kind of having carte blanche to just sort of do whatever they liked and David Lynch sort of being the weird guy that he is like this is the guy that um, has a Woody the Woodpecker um, plush collection yeah. I think when he was went, going to film like Twin Peaks he found like an abandoned Woody Woodpecker doll on the side of the road oh, yeah, and he like <laughs> looked into his eyes and said this thing needs a home and he just started collecting like Woody Woodpecker yeah. stuff after that so like you know I just wouldn't be surprised if he was just sort of like walking back home one day and just found some kind of like I don't know mass of some kind of fleshy substance on the, on the ground in the distance it's like I'm going to take this home and make some <laughs> you know um, but like whatever it is like obviously props to him like it's iconic and it works oh 100% um, it is one of like those... it's incre- incredibly old movie but it looks great like yeah. you know uh, it hasn't aged a day like you know I no. think a lot of people now would still be looking especially in the field of practical effects to look, to make something that good mm. something that looks I, I don't even like at the time they would have known just how sort of timeless it would be now yeah like you know again yeah, all these years yeah later. you know you have like so many creatures and in, in films over the years yeah um and as you say like a, a lot some age and then some don't luckily but this is definitely one of those yeah. like even in 20 years time you you still won't get something no like that it's it's a thing it's thing little itself. things like even like like the sort of sheen on like its skin like the eyes, uh, the eyes yeah, I think the eyes in particular because it's like they almost seem to have a life of their own like they seem to sort of like it move. looks like a real yeah it creature. does it like, does yeah even if it was like roadkill or but it looks like it's alive yeah like, even like the inside of its mouth like it yeah, has like it's, it's, oh. it's got a texture to it like yeah. you know it's um it, it feels genuinely quite real um and you do sort of wonder like you know what the fuck is going on <laughs> Uh, and this is probably the point where it's actually probably the hardest to actually kind of explain what happens sort of plot to plot because it's very straightforward from the start up until like when the baby arrives and then everything starts getting a little bit more sort of abstract from there um yeah because Mary leaves Mary leaves like multiple times like well she leaves 
once, comes back without much of a ceremony, leaves again. leaves again, to which sort of Henry even comments to his neighbour, like, she must have left again in the middle of the night. Um, she's never seen again after the sort of second time she's in mm-hmm. the house, um, where she's uh, she's um, writhing around in bed, like sort of pushing him out of bed and oh, grinding her teeth and making like weird lip-smacking noises and stuff, and it's all it's awful. And they, they're pulling the creatures from... Little sperm like, creature little things sperm again. Oh, well, he throws it at the wall in slow motion. Is oh, it like <laughs> like all the scenes with like the the, the baby kills throughout the film are so horrific. Like the bit with the wall, I really hate the, the, the where, bit, he, where he throws it against the wall. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh my god, the bit with the radiator woman stepping on them. It's just they're yeah. all so. Well, I guess you should probably talk about the radiator yeah, woman very briefly. Yeah. Who turns up? three times yes we have the radiator woman the woman inside the radiator i think is how she's referred you you always sort of get a character in sort of david lynch films um that he's a big fan of singing women yeah um i mean blue velvet being my favorite of those sort of characters um, but yeah, you've got the the singing woman inside the the radiator who has her own little, little stage. Yeah. Where she she dances and weird back yeah. and forth motions. Yeah. That's because that's the first thing you meet her. She like she's dancing mm-hmm. and she's like stomping on the things as they kind of fall from the they ceiling. Well, smiling. Oh. And I think like the funniest thing about it is that like in in that sequence where she's sort of like doing the dance. Um, you can sort of see, like she's cons- consistently like looking at the camera and kind of like she's got her hands up kind of like like a baby almost like sort of held together and she's kind of looking at the camera and smiling but every so often she kind of like glance dark glances down at the ground to see that she's stepping in the right places or whatever oh, it's a bit it's a bit strange uh, it gives it that kind of like artificiality feeling of kind of like am i doing this right oh i'm cute yeah. um where the camera cut kind of should be so that you can't see her kind of like almost breaking the character for a second to make sure she's not slipping on some kind of foreign substance yeah. um it's a funny one um henry sleeps with a neighbor as well yeah um and there's another sort of imagery scene of them having sex in a pond yeah I, 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 i'm like i don't know it's black it's just kind of hard to tell but i think it's like lava or something i don't think it is i think it's like a pond like but it's, it's like bright white in the black and white if you know what i mean yeah it looks i think quite it's thick. sort of to be like like the liquid of a womb mm, maybe i should have probably like, like just uh like the same with the I keep saying puddles, but I don't yeah. know what else to call them. Like it's the just crater like, of the star. Because it looks like a crater. So I'm no, no, assuming that it's it kind does, of like lava. It, it does look like a crater. I just, I, I, I would have thought it being like a liquid, like a womb-like liquid. Yeah. Like a thick, thick sort of. Yeah, so there's that. And that she takes, she glances. She manages to see the baby. At some point, she leaves. Yep, she's not, um, she's not. particularly <laughs> thrilled about the baby no. being there. Which I hate this scene as well because when she comes into the room, like, oh, like Henry yeah. like sort of like grabs the, the child's mouth so that she won't notice it and it's just Yeah, it's a bit uncomfortable. Oh it's, it's every scene with the child's uncomfortable. But yeah, mostly, but I think it's actually strangely that like I'm kind of always on the baby's side. Like you yeah, know Yeah, no, like I, I completely agree. There's there's a lot that's there's a lot of scenes where with the baby laughing yeah. in a sort of taunting sense, but then it's still supposed to represent a child, and the child doesn't really know no, what exactly. it's doing. A it's, baby's just a baby. It's, like. it's, it's so innocent, and it needs the help of yeah. a, a parent or someone to look after it yep. and care for it, do which it doesn't really get that care. Like there, there are elements where Henry tries to help it, like yep. when it's ill. 
like a baby can't look after itself no. you know like you know like a, not a regular human baby yeah. can't look after itself and, and that's think, got like two arms and yeah, two legs and i think by the point that um when henry does sleep with the neighbor he's sort of given up by the point of parenthood yeah he's, he's realized how much it's gonna take to look after this child especially with the child being premature and everything that's wrong with it um and he i think he just doesn't want to to have to deal with that anymore like no. he's sort of fed up with it there's so many like in deep in-depth meanings of the child represents trauma from his past and by the killing of the child it's, it's him allowing the trauma to be free and to be one with himself again and it's yeah boring i don't yes. care <laughs> i know like, i don't really um i just like you know i, I, I think I, it was better as a like a fear of parenthood it ta- i feel like honestly it does just take away so much to really like you know fair, like more power to you if that's your kind of thing where you want to like sort of overanalyze like every frame and like like i said like look at those ending explained fucking videos on youtube or whatever for the simplest things and you know more power to you whatever they're not for me but like there's a real um there's real credit to be gained by literally just sort of taking it as it mm-hmm. is like just taking it at face yeah. value like it's really not this hoity-toity thing no. of like oh there's a deeper there's not it's, like, it's really simple like if people want to have that view then people can have that view um i think it's a good storyline for itself just yeah. being about parenthood um i think as well for from dealing with it from a father's perspective um because you have a lot of i don't want to mention any off the top of my head because i know i've got one but it's, it's more of a horror film in the bad sense rather than the whole experience but there, there's a lot of films from the eyes of a mother mm-hmm. um with like prenatal depression mm-hmm. which is kind of like what this is it's, yeah. it's kind of like having a child and and feeling that low after yeah. can't look after or the, the fear of being a parent this is and it's from his perspective which i think is is interesting rather than obviously mary does feel the same because she, she leaves very yeah very quickly because she can't deal with it yeah um so yeah i think it, like the storyline in itself is fine you don't need to no absolutely to dive into like it does get like you know um i think i think it's shortly after he sleeps with the neighbor that um whole thing kind of takes an abstract dive off the deep end for the majority of the runtime after yeah, that you've got um, a lot of the, the dream logic um the, the the dream scenes yeah come back into play after sort of that because yeah. this is the it goes back into the radiators the radiator ladies singing and dancing and his head pops off and, and then gets replaced by the baby gets replaced by the baby's there's head there's like a mountain of soil that like bleeds onto the floor yeah, and, <laughs> and then his head falls out of the building and onto the street and a kid finds his head takes it to a pencil maker um i actually just kind of want to sort of say this but honestly like you know now i can't remember the last time i watched this movie probably would have been with you when we were a teenager yeah well we did we watched it yeah i think that's the last time (laughs) i watched it and again maybe just sort of being a bit older now my sort of like tastes and thoughts on it have kind of matured a little but um around about this point is when i realized that this movie is actually really funny like well, it's very, like this I'm movie sure actually has, has like, like the, the, it's dark humour yeah like not even like in an unintentional way I genuinely think that it's kind of written to kind of get a laugh out of you like you know so the kid picks up um, Henry's head and runs off to this like weird pencil factory place we don't know that initially he sort of steps into this reception and there's a wee um, a wee dweeb called Paul behind the desk who like immediately starts like incessantly ringing this buzzer 
for ages like that must go on for like at least 30 whole seconds uninterrupted of him just ringing this horrible buster until like his boss just comes through with this really firm finger pointed at him he's okay paul it's just so funny and then you know the this manager guy like gets the kid and takes him to the back and stuff and even like paul comes to follow along but like just before he gets into the next room the guy's like counter paul like he just sends him back to the counter like it's really funny and there's even like the stuff with mary's dad and stuff like it's not but it's just kind of a bit weird like when he comes in and he has that whole like barrage Energy. of dialogue it's, it's very uncharacteristic especially because by that point if characters have spoken it's not been any more than like a handful of words at a time yeah. this guy comes in and is just like, <laughs> like yeah. firing yeah. off the dialogue so it's like it has its moments even in Mary's house um, oh my god oh, I can't believe the her grandmother. yes absolutely yeah. the, the funniest the thing ever grandmother yeah. is, um... oh but she's like catatonic or something yeah. like, she's just kind of sitting there and then her mother gets her to like toss the salad but she like you, she's basically tossing the salad herself like she's holding yeah. the, these this grandmother's hands to like toss the salad but she's tossing the salad so it's like what's the no. point <laughs> like and then likes a cigarette likes a cigarette for her it's, not, it's just it's so funny like you know um but again like whether that's deliberate or not whether he was intending for that to kind of just be like another weird thing or like a stylistic thing mm-hmm. it has come across to me as quite funny and it it does sort of make everything just that little bit more refreshing mm-hmm. even like the weird touch with like you know like i said earlier when he takes the temperature everything's fine he turns back around the baby's sick like instantly like stuff like that's quite yeah. fun um especially for like ones and with the dreamlike sequences especially the pencil factory one um and the, the two characters there the, the guys that obviously run it um it's quite funny because obviously once once you get back to henry and the child and the scene where he cuts open the the bandages of the child it's horrific oh, yeah, again yeah. like it's just another horrible horrible scene because they don't scrimp on like close getting close up to the, the child so it's no, not, they don't. so they're not fearful they're not like this isn't gonna like they're not scared of it looking crap up yeah. front like they know how good this looks like yeah it does like once it. they open up the bandages and stuff like the sort of like weird beating hearts and lungs and stuff are in there and it looks fine like you know you know especially like with stuff like that with practical effects and stuff as well like you need to use the simple ways to sort of like hide the zippers as it were mm-hmm. so like the fact that it's even in black and white just goes such a long way to kind of being like what even is that like you know yeah. he, he eventually like once he opens up the bandages like he stabs it it's like does he stab it in the heart does he stab it in the lung i don't know yeah, <laughs> like what, it's what so hard to tell it's, yeah. it's such a mess of just things and I mean, arteries and see this is and as you say the black might bodes well with this hmm. for that reason yeah and it works the exact same way in Tetsu um, for hiding little details yeah. well not hiding but just making things a bit weirder and work better together yeah. being in black and white um, especially with the creatures in Tetsu as well that's yeah. what it works well too it does um, but then that's it like once he kind of opens up the the, child, the baby it. it's kind of the end like you know he just kind of suffers like the final fate where like the baby kind of has the last laugh in the end kind of almost where it sort of attacks him or at least it mentally attacks him by kind of like throwing him over the edge of absolute insanity by having a giant head floating around the room and yes um which is probably the best part i actually quite like that bit that's another scary scene yeah it's yeah it works really well for its um what it is and as i say it was um for its time it's became such a massive yeah. piece of film and influential and we were actually because we were trying to work out where in timeline the film 
this set because there was only um, a few other directors when it comes to these sort of films. I mean, you had David Lynch, you had David Cronenberg, mm. and you had there was three, um, Carpenter. Yeah. Um, but the two that were around about the same time was David Lynch and David Cronenberg. Yeah. Um, so David Cronenberg had been working on films previous to Razorhead. Yeah. Um, we actually had found out that Ravage's film, that came out the same year as Razorhead. Yeah. So if there was anyone sort of doing the weird beforehand, it was Cronenberg, but only slightly. Yeah. And n- not massively at all. Um, so they really are sort of heirs of the same and this is why we sort of we, we decided to uh, we probably will speak about Cronenberg in, in future but why we decided to do Lynch and a Razorhead and Tetsu am I pronouncing that right? Tetsuo Tetsuo you have we've seen Akira I know I know I just yeah, but it's just I, just, I mean that like it's it is, more than the word and the word Tetsuo comes Tetsuo. up it's the most I know, I know, I know. I'm, okay. the main character screams at any yeah, opportunity <laughs> um, why we thought we would do David Lynch and Razorhead with this even though there's a lot of elements of Cronenberg within Tetsuo yeah. um, I would think that it is a film of its time but I think it's also maybe the reason that this was sort of chosen um, and because it's black and white was that um, it's kind of like coast to coast in a way like it's kind of Japan versus the West in terms of like um, the sort of like sensibilities or the style of storytelling or the sort of themes and um, opinions and stuff Um, yeah Eraserhead's a funny one I think like having watched it again I don't really know where I'd put it in kind of like my David Lynch rankings like I still love it like it's still good Mm -hmm. Um, because what is your favourite? I don't know I would probably just say Mulholland Drive to be honest Um, only just because I think it's such a a fun collection of odd characters like obviously like you know the sort of two main girls are the main characters in Mulholland Drive but then you've got Justin Theroux who's like the film director mm-hmm. you've got um, oh my god you've got um, Miley Cyrus's dad is the woman who's uh, the guy who's Justin Theroux's wife is cheating on him with um, in just one scene mm-hmm. for no reason there's the cowboy with no eyebrows yeah. there's the weird hairy hobo behind the wall um, like there's there's so much going on <laughs> in um, Mulholland Drive that I just kind of love it and especially because I quite like and this is why I like Under the Silver Lake so much is that it kind of takes that look of um, Hollywood as kind of like a weird en- entity and like, itself, it's yeah. kind of like not like it's not even like a machine it's kind of like a weird creature mm-hmm. that's like where these personalities these famous people have an entire cult of personality all themselves like you know um you know, like in Mulholland Drive, they go to like the Silencio Club and stuff. Like that. So yeah. looks, you know, stuff. I just like yeah. it. I also just like how weird it is. I like how all the voices are like ADR'd over each other mm-hmm. to make it seem like they're on like a weird TV show, yeah. um, and stuff like that. Like I think that's kind of like peak David Lynch for me. Like I don't, I like that he's weird, but sometimes when he gets a little bit too hard on it, is when I kind of take a backseat a little yeah. bit. This is why I've not watched Inland Empire all the way through and I've tried so many times but it just gets far too weird far too mm-hmm. quickly like with the stop motion rabbit um, yeah. TV show that comes yeah. up all the time. And I think as you say like it's hard to put it in because I feel like Eraserhead's like a whole other kettle of fish mm, and is, like yeah. it was um, Dave Lynch's films. Um, as I say like I love Blue Velvet's probably my favourite David Lynch movie. 
Um, but you've you've always got these directors, sort of the the one film that's. I mean, you've got which Hitchcock, you've got Psycho. Yeah. Um, which I think's another another big element of influence for other. Yes, absolutely. Um, and I think there's definitely a first, especially for like. There's not massive amounts of body horror. Like the child is obviously yeah, is what the body horror part. But you haven't got mass amounts of that apart from Cronenberg's. Of course, yeah. Um, Cronenberg's work as well. Um. So yeah. So about ten years later, just just over ten years later after Razorhead is when Tetsuo comes in. Nineteen eighty-seven. Nineteen eighty-nine. Oh. <laughs> Sorry, our cat again has uh, decided to join, to join Um Yeah, so about yeah, ten years. I didn't actually think it was that long. I only thought it would have been a couple of years. Yeah, no, because I just I was just intrigued as to where when when it sort of um, would have came out. Um, well, because I know um, Eraserhead was what um, Mel Brooks seen for him to decide that David Lynch should do um, the Elephant Man. Yep. yep. Which got him like his first. Well, I mean, just as good as any for any kind of like you know studio debut movie to oh, get nominated yeah. for Oscars and yeah. the like and stuff as well which funnily enough actually there because because it's been so many years since obviously seen a razor head it's been years since I've seen the elephant man as well but the elephant man sort of sticks out um, yeah a lot of that well because you've actually got like normal performances by normal actors and yeah. um elephant man yeah. like John Hurt and mm-hmm. Anthony Hopkins but you the all the scenes sort of with the child sort of laying with a pillow mm is sort of I don't like obviously, obviously later on in the Elephant Man um, the very sad end scene oh with the, when he kills himself with, with the pillow the, with the pillow yeah um, I don't know it's just that just the image of the child on the pillow yeah. was just sort of like I think about like oh like I don't know if that was taken into I do wonder you know um, anyway we won't go into the Elephant Man but um, yeah no of course so he got his after a razor head yeah I mean, what, get a, like a great, what a triple great hitter you get from there like you know you, you go on to they like, do this little indie movie then go on to make a studio movie that's not even like you know you'd always expect that someone especially in today's current day and age if you make a good small indie movie you're picked up to make an MCU movie immediately yeah. <laughs> or a Disney movie yeah. like just think of that guy that made um, Cop Car and he got picked up to do like the Spider-Man movies for Disney mm. um, whereas back in the day they probably would have been something quite similar yeah. you do an indie film and then you get to make some kind of blockbuster for the yeah. time but he just went on to make like a kind of like straightforward drama but then after that was when he went on to do Dune I mean take that as you will like Dune's not a good movie but I mean like shit if that's not some really good improvement to start off incredibly simple and straightforward mm-hmm. to getting to make like a, at the time an incredibly expensive over the top yeah. like bodacious blockbuster yeah, definitely, definitely given a chance like from from this point yeah like it was um, it only gets better from there like i know dune sucks but like everything else after that is great <laughs> yeah no like 100 100 um and i do think Razorhead is great yeah as, for, especially for a first film like mm-hmm, that's absolutely. um like i do like the heart of it like taken five years like yeah. you must be very sure if you're probably quite humbling after a while yes. as well um but yeah and we're especially where it's held now yeah um, in film history it's it's a big one yeah so but yeah we'll go on in it so obviously 10 years later um we have Tietzo that comes out and i don't think i see this is another one i don't want to 
speak wrongly, um, but I don't think there was a lot. Was there a lot like it at this point? I don't think so. Japanese um, horror. Um, not like I don't really think there was anything quite like Tetsu at the time. Um, it was a year after Akira, wasn't it? No, because I thought from your reading that it inspired Akira. Wait, no. No, I thought Akira inspired. Oh no, and sorry, Akira would have come first. Yeah, I think it was only a year. Within a year, I, th- I think it was something. It was the. Close At least the back. manga would have come yeah, anyway, years and the, years the, before. It was ma- it. It, um, not uh, the manga. It was an insp- uh, inspiration and st- stuff for this, but film-wise, I don't think there was. No. A lot. It did like <laughs> strange that like you know, when I was. The only reason I've seen Tetsuo is because I was very young and I was looking at a bunch of horror lists for things I've never seen before mm-hmm. uh, when Tetsuo popped up and um, I was immediately kind of taken with it and it took me a really long time to kind of finally see it and I hated it. This is actually the second time that I've ever watched it because when I watched it when I was young I actually thought it was really scary um, because yeah, I don't like, I don't I like metal and yeah. flesh sticking together. I hate that stuff and it freaks mm-hmm. me out. Um, and especially I think like you know this is just something that maybe the Japanese do really well is they kind of make it feel a lot more like cold and surgical than it actually is mm. there's no kind of like sort of like Frankenstein's monster kind of sympathy there it's well, just kind no of like is. look at you you're becoming a monster now fuck that like, yeah. you know um, so I never watched it again until we watched it now um, but there is like I guess almost kind of like a weird subgenre of that kind of like there is, weird metal has thing got, like, um... That's what I mean. I don't think there was a lot at this point, but no. I think there has. It, it has had, one would of... have since. Mm-hmm. Um, I know that obviously there are sequels um, yep. to There's Tetsuo three, as well. Three is films. Um, Tetsuo Two Body Hammer and is it yep. Bullet Man? I think so. Yeah. Because there's part of the regular sized monsters. Yes. Series. I've never actually seen. I think I've seen some of Tetsuo Two, and I remember not really enjoying it. Strangely, considering how much I absolutely hated seeing the first one when mm-hmm. I was a teenager. I seen some of the second one and wasn't too taken with it because it actually has a very straightforward narrative, mm. and it's also in color. Um, yeah, it's, it's not really about that, like a dad saving like their child from like a cult of like metal um, implant people and mm. stuff. It's very strange. Yeah, I've not seen any of the others. I would kind of like to now that we rewatched. I mean, it, I, I feel I'll feel the same now it. as well. I'd be up for it as well. Um, I still don't get me wrong. It's still as I say the exact same razor head. It no. still makes me feel ill. Yeah, like, it does, and it's one of those films. That whenever you mention it to someone that has seen it, they sort of make that face that's like, oh, yeah. like, oh, that's that film. That's the one with um, the penis drill. That, yeah. That's the one with the the pole and the leg and oh, yeah. like, there's a lot of little elements. It's just that sticks out. Yeah. Having watched it again now, it's actually quite funny. Where like, um, oh, it's <clears> got good humor. See by the end of it, like, I wouldn't say it has the same kind of humor as like. Eraserhead no, does where no, I think it's no, quite deliberate it's just... I think just me being a bit of a weep I think it's quite funny where like I was surprised that uh, having watched it as a teenager I didn't think it was funnier because it's it's like a tokusetsu show yeah. like it's kind of like your Power Rangers or your Kamen Rider yeah that's like, what it's I mean got like, by, the, of... by the final scenes where yeah. they're like blasting down yeah. the street fighting each other it's, it's quite yeah. like it feels a like, like a tokusetsu yeah. show it feels like Gridman or Ultraman or mm-hmm. like any of that weird stuff with people in costumes and like you know like so like it's a bit surprising but it still has its moments like you know um, but I guess going into again we're not going to get into the plot too much it's actually very straightforward um, yeah yeah again it is a, it's very kind of straightforward yeah. there's like, a, the metal fetishist yeah the metal fetishist which it starts with a horrific horrific scene um, where it starts off in, in, in a sort of like a scrapyard yeah, again, they both start very similar, um, like, as in once the Razorhead starts, starts past the yeah. dream sequence, 
both very industrial environments, yeah. very derelict, um, very similar. Both characters walking down through these environments. Yeah. Sound wise, both industrial at the start. Yeah. Apart from Tetsu, Tetsu is a lot more intense. Yeah, well, it's more, a lot more percussive. Like it actually, mm-hmm. like you know, it's, whereas it clearly has influence from actual industrial style yeah. music. Like um, Eraserhead is, if anything, it's more just diegetic sound. Yeah. Like it is, it's, the, it's not hundred percent. It's, it's like, the sound yeah. that your radiators make when you turn mm-hmm. them on. It's that kind yeah. of rattling, but it's basically the entire. It doesn't really have any music outside of like yeah. the actual diegetic music, like the lady in the radiator singing. No, um, no Tetsu is does have an actual soundtrack. It mm-hmm. has songs. It has music. Oh, it's so good. And like, it is I really good. I forgot how good it was. I didn't remember I... it at all, but then again, I wasn't really into that kind of music when I first seen yeah. it. And now, being the kind of person that I am, being the kind of music that I like, I thought it was great. I thought oh, it was the it was best great. part of the entire it movie. Was, you know, it was brilliant. I think it's um, really good. But yeah, so they, they start very similar. They've both got very similar storylines. So as you say, like it starts with the metal fetishist. Yeah. Um, and his little... Scrapyard. Scrapyard. Sort of weird which more, the, more or less the whole movie kind of takes place oh it is scrapyard yeah, yeah, or scrapyard yeah, adjacent which is very straightforward and it's got this bit where he slices open his oh it's very very gra- very well done yeah it is <laughs> like very very well done for effects um, this film works very well for its effects and stuff um, uses a lot more stop, stop animation stop motion yeah stop motion to create effects but even just the makeup and stuff and the black and white really helps towards that too um, to cover up any elements that would sort of look a bit clunky but yeah, this so he stabs his leg puts this horrible rusty like rod, in. rod in into his leg and this then inanimate just, rod <laughs> and then straight away um, it begins to rot and there's well, I think it was. I think they were kind of implying that like he done it and then he came back like several days later or something but did you know? I thought it was like almost it was supposed to be like almost well no because like it kind of like it, he puts it in and then it has this really really harsh cut where he kind of like uses like the butt of his hand to like really fully jam it in there and then it cuts away just as it fully goes in and then it's almost like because he bandages it up and it, he comes back and he unbandages okay, it okay no you're right yeah, I didn't know if it was just like yeah. a literal bandage up and then no it's like it must have it must have been like a period of a couple yeah. of days or something and then you've got him so he stumbles out into the street gets hit by a car and this is this is basically the whole concept of the film like that yeah. <laughs> that's it he gets hit by end. a car and then that's our main character um just to say like this is almost kind of reserved as if it's like a plot twist but it kind of isn't because it kind of gives away the you know bullet quite early where like he's hit yeah i think it's slightly supposed to be a plot twist yeah but it doesn't feel like it but no. maybe it's because i've seen it before it doesn't really like you know so he kind of get he gets hit by the main character's car and then the main character and his girlfriend drive the corpse out to the woods to hide it and for some bizarre reason they decide, let's fuck, and then yeah. they fuck right next to the body, and then I guess that's what sets off like the curse of the metal fetishist, where mm-hmm. Tetsu, or I mean, I guess I'm assuming that's his name. Nobody ever says his name. Um, yeah, I think that that is. We'll just go with that. Yeah. that is his name. He um, is shaving he's and finds. I name. think he's actually referred to as the salary man. Yeah, the yeah. salary man. But um, yeah, we'll call him Tetsu. He uh, starts shaving, and he finds a small chunk of metal in his face. And it just kind of goes from there, like, you know, obviously, like, the progression of, like, the, the, I guess, a virus of sorts kind of progresses through his body, but not without some competition first, like, almost immediately after, there's, um, probably the sequence I hate the most in terms of, like, kind of being scary is where he, uh, the train is, yeah, he station. is kind of feeling ill at the, at the, on a subway platform, 
and there's a small chunk of metal on the floor where this woman nearby is like... Oh, I thought that was so weird, because I, I didn't remember the chunk of metal on the floor. Yeah, that, that I remember the woman chasing him, but I don't remember why or how. Yeah. And then it's... It, I thought I, that was great, like that weird metal creature that's like just sort possesses, of... Possesses, it's the metal, you can sort yeah, of... It kind of looks them. like a metal bird or a yeah. bird that's been taken over by metal, like sort of on the floor. Yeah. And it's like, I guess the metal fetishist is kind of inside it in a way, because you kind of see him like mm-hmm. inside like a sort of circle of metal. I love the shots. All the shots from the metal fetish, fetishist are sort of done as like a TV. Like yeah, yeah, like from a CRT. A t- yeah, this this film has a, really... a fucking obsession with CRT monitors, yeah. um, which, which I is love. actually because they're using different different kinds of media yeah. throughout. It's really interesting as yeah. well. Well, I like that because, you know, I'm, I'm a sucker for like tainted like 80s 90s tech yeah. so i love like vhs tapes or like playstation ones like watch pet scott but like you know i yeah. like shit like that so like i'm really really down for just like chunky really crunchy crt monitors with lots of static i really yeah. like that kind of stuff um and, like from a musical point of view i tour yeah, like yeah. you get all this industrial and the static yeah tour, it's, it's great and um the metal fetishist inside this like chunk of metal he like possesses this i'm assuming like sort of possesses her i guess is kind of what they're getting at um she has like a almost kind of like a sort of hard V vein in her forehead, which is actually when the metal fetishist turns up in person later on, he has the same thing. Mm. Um, so it is kind of like, there's a a design through line into like what the sort of metal fetishist looks like and how he's mm. sort of presented and stuff. Because when you actually get introduced to him at the start of the movie, you don't see his face. No. Um, so she chases him through the subway and it's great. Like the, the music is just, it's really hard. Uh, the effect, she has a big metal claw and it's horrible. Mm. Um, she's just... Yes. Yeah, it's kind of like a lobster hand. Almost, yeah. yeah, Like there are sort of fingers there, but not really. Like you know, um, and that's probably that's at that point. Like you know, it's quite a small amount of like transformation stuff. Obviously, it gets more and more and more and more and more as it goes on. Um, But even from that small amount, it's uh, not good. (laughs) As in, it's not good. Totally, it's not nice. Everything that happens, yeah, from this onwards is really grim yeah like you know if you were to see it in colour it would just be a shitload of tinfoil and like a bunch of like skin coloured like paste or something um, instead a lot of it's just like like latex and circuit boards and yeah like it, metal, it does like feel it's... like it is kind of everything but the kitchen sink and to be honest the kitchen sink probably does get thrown in there at the end anyway. <laughs> um, but that's great you know um, after the subway sequence which goes on for quite a while um, and it's quite it, scary like, cause it is because yeah. it, it is a chase scene as well yeah. and it's sort of like and the music's harsh as well. Yeah, like, really, really harsh. And before he is sort of transformed, you've got this yeah. this woman, and she's a fucking badass as yeah, well. Yeah, like, yeah. The bits where she's like holding up up against the wall. And stuff, yeah, like, and she's like clawing against like some metal grates to like try and get through to him and stuff. Like, and her eyeliner is like the blackest it could possibly be. It's great. Um, after that, it's like he goes back to his house, and the transformation kind of like kind of just like although the scene feels like it goes on for ages, and it's such a back and forth between like like him and his girlfriend like because when we get back to the house we're great immediately with like the iconic scene in the movie where the male rape scene where he gets raped by his girlfriend with a long snake drill penis I wouldn't say it's a drill I'd say it's like a, like a tube well it's kind of yeah but it still has a drill end because you got yeah, yeah. you got to get the phallus in there yeah, a lot of phallic yeah, a lot shapes of in this. A lot of phallic shapes. Um, this whole film. But then after that sort of like weird sequence where he sort of dreams that he's being raped by his girlfriend, it's like they're in the house with the girlfriend and they are just sort of having sex normally anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, and the sort of the transformation kind of goes on from there, and it's basically just them in the house for a long point, going sort of back and forth. 
between her saying that she's not going to be scared of him but then being scared of him him kind of being like a maniacal killer and transforming and being in pain and it's it's kind of exhausting <laughs> like it is yeah i think with the, the sort of this thing is it's like it keeps sort of taking over like yeah elements of people and stuff and, yeah but yeah that the, the scene with him and his girlfriend's pretty Which pretty one? grim that's the long one or the actual rape one both. Yeah. Both are pretty grim. Like, yeah. Because then he grim. eventually does get the drill penis. Um. Yep. Again, and not intentionally comical, but quite comical when they're sitting down and like his drill penis just kind of appears out of nowhere and it drills a hole through the table they're sitting at, which is, again, not intentionally funny, but quite funny before everything gets really bad. Mm. Um. The transformation stuff really kicks off. Like his face is um sort of just getting covered in metal now. Um. His hands and his arms and stuff are getting really bad. Um, like kind of like his Achilles tendon and stuff as well. They yeah, have like they, almost like they were the exhaust two, pipes yeah. coming yeah. out of them and stuff like that as well. Um, it's horrible. It's horrible stuff. Yeah. Um, eventually, the girlfriend gets killed. Yeah. After terrific. a long, grueling fight back and forth, yeah. where she's just stabbing him all the time. Like yeah. she stabs him like multiple times. Well, you can understand like why that point like it's yeah because it is terrifying and obviously he sort of turns yeah obviously against her and she's just trying to get out and stuff it is yeah oh it's just yeah drill penises is, no not nice yeah um i guess after that it kind of feels like it's just the climax for the majority of the movie after that yeah it's mostly yeah, just the... it's a very oddly paced movie it doesn't really feel like it, it has a beginning and an end but the middle is kind of up for grabs like yeah the, and... the thing with this this as well is like when we were saying like a razor heads about an hour and a half at most it's not an hour and ten Razorhead. No, this. No, that's this what I'm saying. Like a Razorhead's about an hour and a half. Yeah. Whereas this is only like an hour and ten. Yeah. So they're trying to obviously fit in. Whereas I feel like they do manage to do that well, but it's it's sort of like the it starts really fast. The middle is quite fast and sort of there, yeah. and then the end's sort of like the longest part of the film. It feels like it drags a little, mm-hmm. but it's also just because I don't know. They really they really just kind of relish and just playing a lot of the stuff over and over um by this point like by the ending anyway it's kind of like time for confrontation with the metal fetishist who has now kind of managed to like you know <laughs> oh god come out of the ether as it were like he's yeah, sort of come out of like some weird dimensional space where yep. he is now kind of like a metal man also uh, yeah but so, he's kind of the villain now. and this is yeah when obviously he realizes that why the reason he is is because of with the crash yeah um which obviously should really talk about um is massively influenced by crash is it so, yeah i suppose oh. it's quite i've not seen crash myself is that who said that uh, the director oh did he right yeah. okay because um the this well i can't even remember. i don't quote me because i'm not off the, off the top of my head but the scene obviously in chetso where they kill him and then they have sex. Yeah. Is that a big thing in Crash, supposedly? Is I there... thought Crash was about having sex with amputees. No, I thought it was about like, watching... I thought it was about watching violent incidents. And Maybe, I don't know. I always just thought the controversy about Crash was that it was about kind of like a weird kind of sex thing with amputees or like people who have been in horrible oh. accidents and stuff. No, I thought it was a sex thing to do with the accidents themselves. Maybe, I don't know. That sounds kind of like um, that really... Chuck Palahniuk book. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. I feel like I need to watch it. But anyway, so we'll, we'll bypass that since we've both not seen Crash. But um, 
as I said before, with Cronenberg being a big influence for this, these sort of things. Videodrome was a big one. Okay. Um, they did definitely talk about that. The, the especially about the TV scenes yeah. in Videodrome and the the way his hands yeah sort of with changes, the gun and stuff. Yeah. They'd said that that was a big influence. They liked the idea of something being created. Yes. Um, stuff. Um, also the it. I think it's at the start and the end and metal it says new world it does yeah it comes um, up quite a few times actually is, um, yeah. same as the, is it the new flesh yeah and death to video drawn along with the new flesh yeah so you can see influences of of that yeah specifically there which of course the things like video drone yeah it's very um to do with technology yeah and the, the problems with technology you also have at this point um cyberpunk had sort of reached its peak in Japan. Yeah. Um, I think it, it reached its peak for about a year before this film came out, and you can really sort of notice that, like yeah. the the cyberpunk sort of influence. Well, if Akira yeah. came out like shortly before that, then that makes perfect sense anyway. Like you know, yeah. Like, but that's kind of more like you know, idealistic future setting. Of, well, yeah. I say idealistic, but you know what I mean. Um, kind of like the fantasy future setting. Yeah. Um, not quite this horrible Frankenstein's monster of yeah, like amalgamation of flesh and yeah. metal stuff. Yeah. Um, I'm not going to bother talking about the finale too much, to be honest. No, but it's basically just a, a an whole extended lead up to fight scene. Have, uh, yeah, extended fight scene. Um, By that point, like you know, Tetsuo's body's like completely 100% covered and mm-hmm. um, even becoming other elements of the, the space around him. Yeah. Sort of attaches. Um, and like, there's a great bit where like, um, I think he's, I think he's trying to commit suicide or something. Where he like, um, like these weird long bars to... grow out of his fingertips, and mm-hmm. they just keep growing and growing. And he like jams them in the power sockets and stuff. I don't know if that's a game more power or if it's. I have no idea. It's kind of hard to tell, especially because yeah, like yeah. it's kind of like a chase scene. Like we've not talked about it up until now, but like, oh, anytime so... people are running around in this movie, they're standing still, and it's kind of like stop motion <laughs> where they're they're bolting down the street like it's, great. Miles per hour. it's, great. it's fun um, but especially like it's overused a little bit too much in like the last bit where it can be a little bit exhausting mm-hmm. and a bit hard to follow um, but the metal fetishist is kind of out for blood he doesn't really look that bad to begin with but he gets worse sort of towards the end when he yes. thinks he's kind of gotten cornered like he kind of his his hand just kind of falls off and like a big tube comes out and turns into like a flamethrower and yeah. it's, it's rad as fuck and I love it yeah. <laughs> um, a, lot, a lot of chips in the store. oh god yeah there's a lot of chips um, or just corrugated um, poles Uh-oh. of some kind yeah. Um, um, yeah there's also this is when these sort of it was a little bit before this when the sort of fight kind of first starts but there's a lot stop motions where it really comes in its own at that point um, the metal fetishist sort of says to him oh, I'm going to show you like the new world I'm going to show you the future and it's like just a metal hellscape and it's all like these weird sort of tendrils of metal kind of all swimming around looking all weird and like you know collapsing skulls down into nothing and um even like you know with the stop motion stuff there's also everything it's kind of like like a pile of bubbles almost like things it's like they're decomposing very quickly but they're turning into like piles of yes yes um which is a really odd thing but i kind of like it Um, yeah um like a lot of the yeah with a lot of the stop like the stop motion um, and even just the editing alone yeah. um, to sort of take parallels of like human movement and mechanical yep. movement because you can't so, even if someone pretends to like walk even just walk mechanical yeah. it's still going to look like human yeah. sort of like so with the editing of this film and the, the stop motion animation it works 
kind of really well to yeah. to create that. Um, and as I was saying, like the, there's so many pipes and phallic yeah. imagery throughout this film. The and a lot of people said like with the rise of hypermasculinity in Japan hmm. with the industrial development, this was they wanted to sort of put that in the movie. Yeah. Um, also, the with the to- toxicity from the industrialization um, dictated by the consuming patriarchy yeah. would create like the end of a world sort of sequence, which is what he's kind of getting to by yeah. the end of it. They're wanting to create this they want completely to mechanical yeah. like universe. Yeah. So by the end, like it's kind of a weird battle where like Tetsu kind of absorbs the metal fetishist into him. But mm-hmm. by the kind of end, like the strongest personality of the two of them is actually the metal fetishist himself, who kind of yeah. says, um, as they're kind of in this big horrible form together, says, "Oh, um, let's go out. We're going to turn the world into metal and rust it into the universe, or whatever." And Tetsuo just agrees and says, "Yeah, okay, let's do it." And then they sort of fly away to go and commit yeah. weird um, metal horror. Um, you know, like again, kind of what we we're saying with the Razorhead and stuff as well, like you know, with sort of mass amounts of interpretation and stuff, like you know. When I first watched this movie, a lot of people I remember seeing said that it was maybe a lot to do with, like, you know, as you were saying, like, just the the amount of sort of green space in um, Japan is quite yeah. low, based um, on sort of heavily populated city areas, like, you know, your Tokyo's, Kyo's, Osaka's, and Shibuya's and stuff, um, and very little sort of greenery sort of exists anymore. They still have a lot of it. I think they have policies in place to make sure that those places are always kind of remain yeah. untouched. Yeah. But um, that the actual sort of industrial spaces themselves are kind of a monster to their own. Um, someone else, or at least someone else, several people have sort of posited that it's maybe a case of sexuality as well. Because mm-hmm. there's, kind of, the hi- the yeah, uh, there's kind of a you can like the phallic the phallic yeah. scenes throughout. Is... And there's a bit of sort of homoeroticism towards yeah. sort of two of them at the end. Yeah, where he's, the, he actually says um, in like the last line of the movie where it's like we'll um, rust the world with our love. Um, mm-hmm. So you know, and like I mean that. For me, preferably, I've always kind of looked at it as kind of being like a, maybe not so much like a, a homoeroticism kind of thing or like a nature industry industry kind of thing. It's just kind of being like there's a thing about yourself that you want to sort of keep a secret. There's maybe something that you're ashamed of, and it mm-hmm. represents itself in this kind of like scourge that you don't want around kind mm-hmm. of thing. Um, and it maybe has the positive message at the end that maybe you should just be okay with it, like you know. Maybe you um, should turn yourself into metal and yeah, kill yeah. the whole planet. Maybe not, like not in a pot. You know what I mean? Kind of like just be out no. with it. Just kind yes. of be like you know whatever it is that you're yeah. whatever it is that you're ashamed of, whatever it is you're worried about it. Yeah. Just let it be there, yeah. like you know. The, I think that the both both these films as well talk a lot about your own disgust. Yeah. Um, and things that disgust you and that disgusts other people around you. Mm-hmm. Um. And as you say, whether that be that you should be accepting that rather than letting it consume you, mm. um, can be completely talked about. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, you were the one that showed me Akira. Mm-hmm. Obviously, it has a huge influence. Great movie. This. Um, good book too. I say good book. There's nine of them, and they're all the size of Bibles. Which you obviously get the these sort of monsters that are coming out of yeah um, Japanese film I mean even there's a lot of influence even just from films like the old Godzillas and stuff mm-hmm. these big creatures that yeah. were to take over and especially by the end of Tetsuo what it becomes is sort of this mass creature that's yeah. 
Um, it just takes technology and machine. Yeah. Um, as its sort of creation of the creature. Yeah. Um, I definitely preferred it a lot more watching it now than I did when I was a teenager. God knows I hated it. Yeah, um, no, and I, I still kind of hate it now. Um, like it's still. Well, it not still a fun makes movie. me feel ill. Yeah. Both still make me feel ill, but it was nice to sort of watch them both. Yeah, absolutely. With like a change, like you know, an older perspective and a lot of changed taste and stuff as well. Like you know, it's not going to be like one of those things that like I was super into when I was a teenager and go back and watch them as an adult and be like, what was I thinking? Like you know. Yeah. Um, there's still that kind of like almost kind of edgy need to really sort of be pushing the boundaries of like what people like about horror movies kind of in there but you know like they've garnered a sort of cult following of their own so you know maybe I'm just not that weird kid anymore that just likes the weird horror movies no one's ever heard of anymore so that makes for any change. Well we've tried to do that recently with some films just checking out the doesn't mm. always work in your favour. No. Especially when you when you are older and <laughs> A lot of the films we watched as teenagers that were a lot for just shock, yeah. a lot of shock movies, which if you go back and watch now as you're older, yeah. you think, why the hell did this give way, this the time of day? Yeah. But By the way, no one likes Human Centipede. By the way, no one likes a Serbian film. If you say you're a fan of them, you're not. You're just being edgy. Stop it. No, but like, <laughs> see, I know, I know, I know. Stop it. But Human Centipede Part 2. It's great. Yes. Yeah, I know. Or you just I'm talking about the, the first, first one. one? No, no, of course you're not. Yeah. I, I thought you meant like the the series as a whole, and I was like, how dare you? The second no. one is actually the second like one's a good. The second of, one's fine. But again, it's also just like one of those things where it's like you know, fair enough, it's shocking, but there's nothing to it. There's nothing going on in Human Centipede Two, but it is a good shocking movie. Mm. Um, but yeah, like it's just one of those things. It's kind of like the torture porn thing that happened back in like two thousand like. Seven, yeah. Where it's like there's nothing really of substance going on, but there was a shitload of them, and people seem to like them. Um, but even when I was that young, I didn't really like. I never really got into them. Um, I don't get them at all. I know you have different tastes. I know. I know. I do have them on the show. I, I do. There's, there's, there's a whole, um, yeah, a whole era. Yeah. But um, yeah, we we can go into that another time. But you know, as these two, I think they're they're both really great surrealists pieces of work they from are. completely different areas of the world. Yeah, absolutely. Um, we're not necessarily saying that they're completely similar, we're just they're saying not. that there's obviously elements from both that are similar. Yeah, um, there's a lot of contrast in them, um, which yes. I think is probably what I got most from this. Um, they don't have similar stories, they don't have mm. similar themes, but they're sort of like, you know, vague approach to storytelling and stuff, and also just sort of using like, you know, um, surrealist imagery and like non-conventional storytelling to tell a really really simple theme at the end of the day is probably their biggest strength and probably why I think they're still sound so as well they are um, yeah absolutely the, the sound design within both is massive mm -hmm. um, but massively different oh like, yeah massively different yeah. but they both like you can like you could even say that like I mean Eraserhead is you can see influences of like people like David Lynch mm. for Tetsuo um, but like the sound design even though it's a lot more minimal yeah um, within a razor head yeah there is still scenes in Tetsuo where it, where it isn't such loud yeah. there's a couple moments that, of like dead silence yeah the parts that are just the sort of mechanical yeah 
elements or just drums or yeah. a bit weird sort of beating in the background before it's things get crazy no. even the title card in Tetsuo is like spelled out in TV static um, <laughs> yeah I love that and even like um, it does that at the end of the credits as well where it says game over um, which is a bit of an odd touch I do say but uh, I, dug, I dig it I like that kind of thing um, and you know the music is my kind of thing as well um, yeah. it's probably it's definitely aged a lot better than I actually thought it would have no, I understand that, that. That was the one that I was more nervous about aging. Yeah. Because I knew for a fact Razorhead. I knew that would be fine. Would be fine. Uh, yeah. Um, because I do remember a lot of the imagery. Whereas, yeah, I thought this would have yeah. aged a lot worse. But it actually hasn't. I think it's. Um, no, it's, it's been absolutely fine. As I say, if, if, it was, if it wasn't for the black and white, yeah. I think it completely would have. Yeah. Um, but having it in black and white really. I think that's is, probably what happens with the sequel is that. Um, I think from from what I remember seeing the special effects and stuff are definitely a lot better mm-hmm. um, but again it's all literally, mostly just kind of makeup and practical effects yeah. and stuff as well so they probably had a bit of a better time and probably a bit more of a budget so colour probably wasn't much of a problem yeah. um, but like there are moments um, in Tetsuo where you can kind of pause it and think if I could see that in colour it would look awful but it's fine that it doesn't yeah. like it looks fine the way that it is like you know metal is silver and black mostly so it, yeah exactly it goes off quite well I think they were going a lot more for the cyberpunk feeling in the sequel so yeah. um, it works out quite well so overall does it make a good double feature I think it does yeah I agree I agree I think you uh, as I say we tried to find two films that come from that weird surreal mm. sort of Elements. I think the only thing that would maybe make this a bit of a difficult double feature for a lot of suggestion um, is just a pacing thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was very fast paced and again, I think, I can't remember what episode I said this on where it's like watch one movie first. I think it was was Alien vs Predator and Freddy vs yep, Jason yep. where yep, I said watch one the pacing, the yep, yeah, 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 and I feel like that's kind of the same problem here as well where mm-hmm. Eraserhead is a lot slower, uh, more thoughtful and more meditative about its sort of themes and its issues. Whereas Tetsu is, for the most part, very balls to the wall, yeah. um, and it is a lot shorter. So it feels like it kind of it starts at like ninety and stays at one hundred after the fact for the mm-hmm. majority of, for the rest of the yeah. runtime. Um, whereas you know Racerhead keeps it like a solid like forty for mm-hmm. the majority of yeah. it. It, keep, yeah. it keeps going. It kind of plods it along. It does at the end have its yeah. Like, it's, um, it has a climax. It does. Whereas I feel like Tetsu. It's yeah. more of it. It's just a hundred. The movie feels like a climax all the time. <laughs> um, no, you're right. It depends what sort of person you are. As I said with the Freddy versus Jason one, if you're the person that would rather watch the slow, the slow film first yeah. and finish with the incredible, yeah. like the that's fast what I would probably suggest as well. Film, or if you're someone that would rather do it batch front and finish with something a bit more calmer, yeah. um, then obviously yeah. But I think no, I think they're they're good. Good black and white surrealist films. Yeah. Um, obviously not same storylines, but with elements that you can take both. Yeah. Both elements of body horror for completely different reasons. Um, yeah, no, I think they're both good. And as much as I hate them because they make me feel scared and ill, um, they were really good to rewatch. It was, yeah. And I would still highly recommend them. Absolutely. Um, dare I ask what it is next time? Um, it's definitely something a bit more easier going. I think we did agree on that. So, let me see. Oh, yeah. So, next you, next time's uh, Jump Me Sir. Yeah, go for it. Yeah? It's uh, zombie movies. Oh, yes. Um, Not necessarily the most 
No, well, we've we've gone for something we've very. Gone we've gone for contemporary. Contemporary zombie films, and we've gone from two, yet again from completely different areas. But one's homegrown this time. Yes, one is yeah. homegrown. And from um, one of my one of my absolute personal favorite. I know. Directors I of all actually time. absolutely love. Well, I love both these films. Um, one yet again, yeah, was yeah. one of the first um, but the zombie one, films that really got me. Yeah, but one of them we've only seen once. Yes. So it's gonna be a lot of fun going back and seeing it again. Whereas the other one I've seen oh, fucking not so many times. I've only seen the other one, I think. Once. Are you joking? No. Are you joking? No. I watched it probably on film four back in the day. It's good. <laughs> no, I love it. Yeah. Like, I love it. It's, uh, I think it's been one of those ones that I've just not touched for years because yeah. I don't want to... You know when you watch something and you just... Um... I overwatched this film a lot when I was younger. Mm. Um... The, the second one we've only watched once we've, but yeah, I'm looking forward have. to it because I remember that was we've sort of been saying recently that we really want to rewatch it so and it's got a sequel coming out soon it has got a sequel coming out soon so we'll see if anybody can guess that by next what time what two films will be yeah. one homegrown and one sequel coming out soon this year this year next year uh, I think it's this year this year yeah. if it doesn't get pushed back with the coronavirus uh, well hopefully not otherwise shame for pirate M yeah your heart but yeah so yeah. So thanks again for joining us this week and we'll see you next week on Zombie Movies. Have a lovely day. Stay safe. Yep. Yeah.